0: following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well,
1: good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here with us in the room or that you've joined us online this morning. It's great to be back with you guys. My family and I got to celebrate Thanksgiving out in the mountains of Colorado. It was an amazing time. So we're really glad you're here for this first Sunday of Advent. You now have pastoral permission to start listening to Christmas music. So I know some of you are eagerly waiting for that permission. Others of you, you already started. I don't know what to do with you. So I think if my wife had it her way, we would start in like August. So anyway, I'm so glad you are with us this morning. As Amy mentioned, I want to take just a few minutes before we dive into the sermon to talk about where we stand financially here as we approach these last few weeks of the year. As you likely know, if you've been around IBC or even been involved in churches um, across the country, churches like us uh, rely on year-end giving, kind of these last few weeks of the year, to make about about 25 to 30 percent of our total annual giving. And so we would just wanna give you a picture of kind of where we stand as we approach the end of the year. We're in a position where we are asking God to provide for us over the course of these next few weeks in ways that it will allow us to meet all of our financial obligations from 2022, as well as to position us going into 2023 to really pursue some things that we feel like are um, necessary for us as a church body. You know, we find ourselves at a place where we have been entrusted by God with this incredible resource that is this campus, this physical facility. And it is one of the most important resources and tools that God has given to us to reach people with the good news of the gospel, to see lives changed. And it's been fun to recently gather with some IBCers and just hear stories about life change that's happened here in this building And yet, with that um, entrustment from God, with this resource, comes the responsibility, the the stewardship of taking care of it and making sure that it's um, prepared to be used to its maximum potential to see people reach for Christ and and lives changed. And so there's some things that we are gonna need to do in 2023 to address this campus. One of the things that we wanna be able to to do uh, in the new year is actually do some work here in this room. You recognize we have some really fresh renovated spaces in other parts of the building, and then you can start to kind of look around and go, this could use some attention. And we recognize that there's some things that we can do in this room that we think will enhance the experience of the worshipers who are here, as well as enhancing the experience of those who join us online. You know, online worship post-COVID is is here to stay. And uh, we have a whole bunch of folks week in and week out that are joining us that way. And for most people that come to IBC for the very first time, In this building, they've already joined us online first. And so there's some things that we think we need to do to address this room that will enhance the experience of those of us who gather here as well as those who join us online. One of the things that we'll need to do in this room is actually replace our PA system. These speakers that hang above my head were installed in this room when it opened over 20 years ago. And I wonder, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us have home electronics from over 20 years ago that we're still using today. The the fact is, is that we find ourselves having already outlived the life expectancy of this PA system. And so that's one of the things that we'll have to address in the new year. In addition to that, we wanna do some things outside the building and some external uh, improvements and, and renovations that will make the building that much more appealing, that much more attractive, inviting for people to come and experience the life of this church. And then finally, one of the things that we're really excited about is the opportunity for us to double the capacity of our children's play area. You know, it's amazing to me through the week to come out and just to watch families that are out there playing in that children's play space, to recognize that that we have families in our community that that are from different religious backgrounds. We have uh, Hindu neighbors and Muslim neighbors that that feel safe and and invited to come and bring their family in and, and to experience the children's play space. And we have story after story of lives that have been changed because they first showed up to play in our playground. I wanna share one of those stories with you now to let you hear from Michelle.
0: I nannied for a family that lives across the street in Hackberry Creek, and we needed places to play. I heard about IBC through online. I didn't know anybody necessarily that came here. It was solely just to play at the tubes. And so we hopped over here and it was pretty cool. It was, you know, all contained and safe and kids loved it. At the time when we first started coming, I was going through a tough time. I had my mother in law living with us and she was struggling with addiction. Um, and my mom, Happened to be in town. She came with us to play at the Tubes and she was like you need more than just a Sunday you need to get into Bible study and I Knew I needed to and so I did and I went in not knowing anybody (laughs) but it, It didn't feel that way I got to know the women around my table. They helped me through some hard things with um, my mother-in-law and fast forward to 2013. I was pregnant with my first son and we lost him. It was tough. But the community that was around me was key they were the hands and feet they visited my home a lot and they prayed with me a lot they just really cared you know it was a different type of friendship that i was experiencing after that i was hooked on ibc i was hooked they um the women around my table they were my family I just immediately jumped on the chance to work here and contribute to a place that impacted me so deeply. It's crazy to think that this was just a place we would come and play and now it's, I'm on full-time staff and it's been a joy. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time here. The Tubes is what got me here. And then after I was here, so much happened. It was like a domino effect. And I just hope that through some interaction or um, some event in their life, you know, that they know that this is more than just a playground. It's so much more, so much more than just a playground.
1: Yes. Isn't that a great story? You know, what's amazing about Michelle's story that's not included in that video is after the devastating loss of their son, Jackson, Michelle began a ministry here at IBC, brought to this church, a ministry called Hope Mommies, where Michelle now is one who is bringing comfort and hope and healing to other families that have been impacted by child loss. And so what an incredible story of life change. Michelle's life is changed as she's supported in community through this difficult experience lives are changed as Michelle is now pouring into others who've experienced similar loss and then the lives changed from the children and families that are part of the ministry that Michelle is engaged in week in and week out as a member of our staff team and all of that that really began by showing up to play at a playground but it's so much more than just a playground and so, we want to come to you here as we approach the end of the year and just let you know where we stand. We, we are, find ourselves in a position where we're asking God over the course of these next number of weeks to provide $1.7 million. Now, if you've been around for very long, you know on the one hand that is a very big number. And on the other hand, it's pretty consistent with what we've seen over the course of the last number of years. But what that $1.7 million allows us to do is to meet all of those financial obligations from the past year and then to have money that we can put with the money that we already have set aside in a fund, put that together to be able to pursue these much needed campus renovations. And so I have three invitations for you. The first is just that would you join us together as a church family in prayer. You've been given the prayer guide and that's gonna guide us together over the course of these last number of weeks that we would pray together for God's blessing on this church, that God would use this church family to make an impact in our community and around the world. And to pray for God to provide for these financial needs in these coming weeks. Second, we want to invite those of you who maybe haven't been regularly giving to IBC to, to make the commitment to do that between now and the end of the year. That for us to experience as a church family all the things that we experience, to, to see God do all the things that God is doing, it requires all of us as a family to participate in that financially. And so if you have decided to make IBC your church family, we would just ask that you would contribute to that family work that you would consider giving over the course of these next number of weeks. And then for those of you who have been so faithful in your financial generosity, in your faithful giving to the Lord and to the church here at IBC, we would just ask that you would prayerfully consider What you might be able to do as we approach the end of the year over and above your regular giving so as to be able to meet all of our financial obligations and to be able to pursue these really important campus renovations that we believe God is calling us to, to maximize the impact of this campus, to reach people with the good news of the gospel, and to see lives transformed and that ripple effect of transformation that Michelle's story illustrates so beautifully. To that end, would you join me right now as we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we recognize that uh, you are not short in resource, Lord. As the psalmist says, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Yet we recognize, Lord, that the way in which you provide is through moving in the hearts of your people and your people responding in obedience. And so God, we pray that you would move over the course of these next number of weeks, that you would provide for these financial needs, that you would enable us to pursue these projects that will um, allow us to see more people reach with the gospel, more lives impacted. And so Lord, would you move among us and would we respond to you in obedience? And God, now as we turn our attention to the scriptures, We pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, that we would have ears to hear and and minds to comprehend, hearts that are open to what it is that you want to say to us today, to bring comfort, to bring hope, to bring uh, change in our lives. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. In his uh, incredible book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer opens the book with what I think is a really compelling image that speaks to what we're living through together in this collective cultural moment. This is the opening page of Pommel's book. He says this. There was a time when families on the Great Plains, at the first sign of a blizzard, would run a rope from the back door out to the barn. They all knew stories of people who had wandered off and, and had frozen to death, having lost sight of home in a whiteout while still in their own backyards. Today we live in a blizzard of another sort. It swirls around us as economic injustice, ecological ruin, physical and spiritual violence, and the inevitable outcome, war. It swirls within us as fear, frenzy, greed and deceit, and indifference to the suffering of others. We all know stories of people who have wandered off into the madness and been separated from their own souls, losing their moral bearings and even their own moral lives. They make headlines because they take so many innocents down with them. The lost ones come from every walk of life, clergy and corporate executives, politicians and people on the street, celebrities and school children. Some of us fear that we, or those we love, will become lost in the storm. Some are lost at this moment and are trying to find their way home. And some are lost without knowing it. And some of us, and some are using the blizzard as cover while cynically exploiting its chaos for private gain. What a compelling image of what we together are living through in this cultural moment. A blizzard where we need something to hold on to, something to give us bearings and direction as the storm swirls around us. And of course, as we all experience this cultural blizzard, many of us also experience storms of our own lives, storms of relationships that are disintegrating, storms of uh, a fearful medical diagnosis, storms of unemployment, financial stress, And on and on, we could go with the examples of the kind of personal blizzards that that could be so disorienting for us as we make our way through life. And so the question for us is, what is it that we hold on to in the midst of those blizzards of life? I believe that we need to be tethered to a story that every human being in fact is looking for story some some kind of story to hold on to in the blizzards of life that a story that 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 perceives them that continues on beyond them that, that's bigger than them a story that gives their life a sense of coherence and direction and meaning but for those of us who are followers of Jesus the story that we are to hold on to is the Jesus story it's the gospel story it is the bible story And I think for many of us, the problem is we've been given a truncated story. We've been given a shrunken story, a half story. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and the story that I was given went something like this. You're a sinner separated from God. Jesus died so you could be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven when you die. End of story. And it's not that that's a false story. It's that it's a partial story. It doesn't actually begin where the Bible begins, it doesn't actually end where the Bible ends. It's a a half story. And this year at IBC we've been looking at, exploring together the whole story of the Bible. That over the course of this year we said, we wanna go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper into the story of the Bible. We began at the beginning of the year with an overview of the story of God. We talked then about the story of Israel, the climax of the story in the person and work of Jesus. We spent the last number of weeks exploring then the unfolding of the consequences of the climax of the story by looking at the life of the church. And now during the Advent series, we want to look at how the story ends. Because if you get the ending wrong, it throws everything else off. But if you get the ending right, it puts everything else in perspective. And it gives us that rope that we can hold onto in the midst of the blizzards of life. We, we find ourselves entering the Advent season. Advent is just this reminder that we live between two Advents. We live between the climax of the story and its conclusion, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And we wanna explore over the next few weeks how the story ends This morning, we're going to look at hope fulfilled, and I want to just take you through a few passages, just a handful of passages that illustrate the way in which the characters of the Bible talk about the end of the story. I want to look with you what Jesus says about the end of the story, what Peter says about the end of the story, what Paul says about the end of the story, and what John says about the end of the story. So look with me at first what Jesus says. We're gonna start in Matthew chapter 19. We're gonna jump around to a few different passages, but we begin in Matthew chapter 19. And here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, he just includes one little phrase that captures his sense of how the story ends. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The little phrase that Jesus used here is the renewal of all things. When Jesus talks about the end of the story, he doesn't talk about disembodied spirits floating around in the clouds of heaven. He talks about the renewal of all things. The Greek word that he uses here is polingenesia. It's like new Genesis. It's a renewed creation, the renewal of all things. That's the way Jesus talks about the end of the story. What about Peter? Flip over a little bit to Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three, we find Peter and John um, in the weeks following Jesus' death and resurrection. This is not very long after all those events, but they're there in Jerusalem. And a miracle has happened in a way that causes a crowd to gather around. And Peter, who was so timid before um, the the infilling of the Holy Spirit, before Jesus' death, when Peter denied even knowing who he was, now Peter is filled with courage, having seen the resurrected Christ, and he begins to preach a message to the people that gather around to see what's happened. And he says to them something really important, verse 19, chapter 3. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. When Peter talks about the end of the story, he talks about the restoration of everything. Jesus talks about the renewal of all things. Peter talks about the restoration of all things. And Peter says, this has been the story all along. This is the story the prophets told, that one day God would return to his people and set the world right. The restoration of all things. For Jesus, it's the renewal of all things. For Peter, it's the restoration of all things. Let's look at Paul. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he gives them this orientation to to who Jesus is at the beginning of the story. And he says this in his letter He says in verse 19, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, Paul now talks about the reconciliation of all things. And this reconciliation that Paul talks about is not just a a heavenly reconciliation. It's things in earth and things on heaven. It's a cosmic reconciliation. It is setting this world to rights. You know, as a preacher... I spend a lot of time with words, I spend a lot of time crafting words, figuring out just the right way to say it. And despite the fact that I spend a lot of time figuring out just the right way to say it, one of the things that's really important and humbling for a preacher to remember is that you're gonna forget most of the words that I say. That's just the reality of it. But if there's anything I hope you remember, and you'll remember it because you hear me say it over and over and over again, this is where the story ends. Friends, there is coming a day when everything wrong with this world will be made right, when everything broken with this world will be made whole, where everything marred with this world will be made beautiful. The renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, the reconciliation of all things. And then we come to literally the end of the story. What does John say? Revelation chapter 21, the final closing scene of the entire biblical story. Revelation chapter 21, here's what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now with the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now, there's a whole lot more detail in this passage than we really have time to unpack, but I want you to just notice a few things about it. First of all, if you're anything like me, I grew up thinking that the whole point of the story was to get from down here to up there. You know what I mean? And yet, what we find when we come to the end of the biblical story is it's about getting up there, down here. The new heavens and the new earth, the, the new Jerusalem. And of course, what's the biblical significance of Jerusalem? What does what that sort of um, ring in people's imagination in the biblical story? Jerusalem was the place of the temple. The temple was the place that they believed was the dwelling place of God. And now we find at the end of the story, God has come to make his dwelling here. The personal presence of God pervading this renewed creation in ways that our experience of the presence of God now is only a a little foretaste of what is to come. And he will be with them, he will be with them, he will be with them, John says. The personal presence of God pervading his renewed creation. The second thing is just to notice that beautiful, tender image that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more deaths or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a tender image of God himself wiping every last tear from every last cheek. And then finally, hear the words of the one who was seated on the throne who says, I am making everything new the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, the reconciliation of all things. This, my friends, is where the story ends. Some of you guys have heard me talk about uh, years ago when I lost my dad, that I went through something of a crisis of faith. I was a second year seminary student, and uh, found myself in the midst of that suffering. The way I often tell the story is I would show up to, to class every day wondering, do I really believe all this stuff? But when I really focus on what it was that I was most deeply struggling to believe in the midst of that experience, the place that I struggled the most was heaven. I just had a hard time intellectually, emotionally, wrapping my mind around Heaven. And so I found myself with a deep sense of crisis of faith. And yet what I came to understand, what I came to believe and embrace in ways that changed my life was that as beautiful as the picture of the glorious future of heaven, those who are absent from the body are present with the Lord, that the Bible actually spends more time talking about life after heaven, which is the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, the reconciliation of all things, renewed creation, resurrected bodies, everything wrong with this world made right. And when I began to be seized by that vision of the end of the story, it changed me. I love the way Brett Davis captures this in his brilliant little book called See the Strange. He said, how would our lives change if we trusted this vision Will we trust the final words from the throne? I am making everything new. Can we begin trusting that there is a future and that the future is good? Nothing will be forgotten. Nothing is lost. Nothing has slipped God's mind. There is a day when we will see God rescue the ruin, rubble, and pain of life. God will redeem it, whatever it is. I know it's unimaginable. I know it's frequently unbelievable, but it's true. Isn't that a great question? How would our lives change if we trusted this vision, the end of the story? This is the point at which I really wish I could just pass around a microphone and we could each take an opportunity to answer the question for ourselves. How would my life change if I really trusted this vision, the renewal of all things, but uh, I want to take just an opportunity to, to offer you what I think are a couple of key ways in which our lives are changed if we really trust this vision. And First is just the reality that would enable us to hold on during the blizzards of life. Right? When, we, when we find our hearts, our minds, our imaginations seized by this vision of the renewal of all things, it enables us to hold on while we wait. You see, that, that half story, that shrunken story, seems as if the whole point is just to get out of here. And so life is really about just waiting it out. Try to be a good person and wait till heaven. But... We find ourselves in the midst of this world filled with these blizzards in our lives and this vision enables us to hold on and to endure knowing that there's coming a day where God will redeem it, whatever it is. This vision allows us to hold on in the blizzards of life. Second, I believe this vision can give us a sense of purpose while we wait. That on the half story, as I mentioned, it seems as though the whole point is just to get out of here. And so just try to be a good person and, and wait it out. But the whole story says that this world is moving somewhere toward the renewal of all things. And that we are called to join God in the renewal of all things. We're called now to live in ways that anticipate that day, that point ahead to that day, that help people see the reality that that day is coming and help people taste what it might taste like even now while we wait. It gives our lives purpose. So what will be true of that day when renewal comes in its fullness, it will be filled with beauty. So we make beauty now. What will that day look like when renewal comes? It will look like justice, so we pursue justice now. What will that renewal look like when it comes? It looks like reconciliation, so we work toward reconciliation now. What will that day look like when renewal comes? It looks like flourishing of God's people and God's creation, so we pursue the flourishing of people and creation now. We look for ways to bring glimpses of that day, into this one. I remember when uh, my sister was in the final days of her life and there was a group of nurses that were caring for her um, that uh, were so troubled by what they saw happening with this woman that in a very short period of time, they'd already come to to really love. And uh, knowing that I was a preacher, that I was a seminary professor, they sort of cornered me and asked me for, how do I make sense of all this? Why would God allow this to happen? But one of the things I was able to say to them in the midst of that moment is that I believe that there's coming a day when everything wrong with this world is made right, when everything broken in this world is made whole, when everything marred in this world is made beautiful. And what I see in the way that you care for my sister is I see you bringing glimpses of that day into this one. And that's what each and every one of us are called to do. To look for simple, practical ways each and every day. When we encounter things in this world that are not the way that they're supposed to be, how do we move toward them and bring glimpses of the world to come? The renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, the reconciliation of all things. God with us, every tear wiped away, up there, coming down here. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. This, friends, is how the story ends. And we now, as God's people, are called to think from the end, to to live from the end, to act from the end, to bring glimpses of that day into this one. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this great hope for how the story ends. We pray that as your people, you would help us to be faithful to live now in light of the truth of the ending of the story. To bring the hope that is the full story of the Bible, the full story of the gospel to a world that needs hope. God, I pray for any who are here and they are going through the blizzard. God, I pray that this vision of the end of the story helps them to hold on. That gives them a sense of bearing and direction in the midst of their storm. And God, I pray for all of us as your people, individually and collectively, that we would dedicate ourselves to live in this world in light of how the story ends. I thank you that we get to be your people together on this mission to bring this story to the world. And we thank you for this hope that is ours, that is secured for us through the work of Jesus that we can look back to his first coming in humility and poverty and hold on as we wait for his coming again in glory. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.